Yeah, let's do that. Welcome to Making a Scene, the only podcast still talking about Game of Thrones. I'm Harrison Williams. And I'm Chris Fabian. Each week we invite you to join our chaotic thoughts on film, television, and everything in between. And this week, we're going back to TV land. We're talking about series finales. Yeah, finales, those that stuck the landing, and those that, you know, didn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I guess to start... Harrison. Chris. If I may call you that. You may. Okay. What makes a good series finale? I don't know that there's like one specific way to end a finale properly. And I think that that's something that we'll kind of talk about as just from the little bit of kind of teasing we've done with each other on, on the stuff that we kind of find interesting on this topic. But mm-hmm. um, kind of core competencies, I would say you have to bring resolution in some form. I don't think that you have to wrap everything up in a neat, tidy bow, because there have been times where they have done that and it's been terribly off. But I think you mm-hmm. need to, to strive to create a, a naturally occurring resolution. Beyond that, I think, to me, it has to feel like you're leaving the characters in a place that doesn't really leave you wanting more, I guess, if that makes sense. Like, it, I don't... <sighs> yeah, I guess. I don't know. It's a tough question. What do you, what about you? What what would you say your answer is? So I think that, well, I thought you were about to say this, but you want to leave the characters. I think the answer is someplace different than they started. Yeah, I was. Uh, and, yeah, and that may not necessarily always be the case, but there needs to be, in terms of the characters, there needs to be something that honors the journey that you've been on. Sure. And some shows, it's going to be a little bit more of a fan service kind of thing. Yeah. And in other shows, and most shows that pull this off successfully, I think, it's it, it's just kind of a representation of how they've grown mm-hmm. and where things may go from there. Because in a lot of cases, a lot of comedies, particularly like, you know... You, sitcoms like The Office and mm-hmm. even like Sex in the City or your your standard kind of three camera like Big Bang Theory, ugh, Oof. Friends, ugh. Yeah. How yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Like there's going to be something that happens after the story wraps up. So yeah. it's really just kind of setting that up and just kind of showing like okay, this is what these characters have been through and this mm-hmm. is where they are ready to begin a new chapter somewhere else doing something else, whatever. Now, now something you brought up that I think is interesting. So, cause I, I think the concept of like the journey that these characters have been on, I think is a lot easier to kind of quantify when you're talking about a show like a game of Thrones or even something a little bit more sweeping or, or not quite as sweeping, but like still in the same vein, like of friends, which would be like a, the office. Right, like that's a, a good mm-hmm. example of something that probably is far closer to the Friends than it would be the Game of Thrones, but has mm-hmm. more sweeping qualities and more movement with the characters long term than something like Friends. So I, th- I guess I- I'm interested to hear how you would apply that to something like Friends, because I mean, to me, we we both had a very similar reaction to Big Bang Theory and Friends, and there's just a stillness to those shows, right? I mean, like, relationships are really about the only thing that change. Everything else is they go to the same comic book store every day. Like, it's it's basically just 
bottle episode the show. And so I guess I don't know how you would how do you honor a journey when the journey is Ross is not dating the person he was last episode. And like that's mm-hmm. the most movement that you have, you know? Yeah. Well, so friends I've never really watched. Yeah. Bing Bang Big Bang Theory, I've had people recommend to me, show to me. I remember one specific time watching three or four episodes in a row. Mm-hmm. I laughed twice. Once was at a fart joke. If that's the best you got, I'm sorry. Yeah, like it's rough. Mm, <clears throat> yeah. The most similar thing that I have like a working knowledge of would be how I met your mother. Okay. Now, I've heard a lot of people say, well, it's the same thing as friends. Okay, well, Hmm. the conceit of the show is very specific, How I Met Your Mother. Right. And there are, there's a lot of the similar kind of stuff, like, in The Only Thing That Changes the Relationships. But that was a show that I felt did a pretty good job of balancing the kind of cheap comedy of those kind of sitcoms. Sure. And... Some more emotionally moving moments because right. there's some heavy stuff that happens and it works itself into the fabric of the show from that point forward. Mm-hmm. And How I Met Your Mother happens to be a show with a particularly controversial finale. Yeah. Are you at all familiar with? Familiar enough. I think the only, the, the closest to an episode of the show that I've ever watched like in total and I didn't finish I didn't watch the whole thing but was the finale mainly because I was so curious I know well and I mean like you said the conceit of the show is is pretty transparent as far as what you're kind of getting into and I feel like the show was popular enough that I had friends that talked about it while it was running and Mm. I kind of had a I mean the characters aren't terribly difficult to understand like you Barney's pretty easy to pick up on. I keep on wanting to say Jason Sudeikis. What was his name? Jason Siegel. Jason Siegel, yeah. Jason Siegel Mm -hmm. and Allison Hannigan, you know, like everything is pretty easy to catch up to. And Mm -hmm. so as a non-fan, I guess it seems obvious. Like, because I watched it not knowing what it was, but I remember just hearing about it. And to me, Mm -hmm. as someone who didn't get roped into the whole thing it seemed like that was just kind of a net like of course that's how it ends because that Mm -hmm. just seems like that's how this show should end so i guess for as for someone who did watch it was that the issue was that it was a predictable like hollywood ending that people didn't want no oh well no it was so spoiler alert yeah for everything yeah this is about endings so the basic premise of the show is how i met your mother so for us to get to the point where the mother is met then to find out that this retelling of the story that we've been going through for the last nine seasons is after she died which happened not terribly long after he met the kid's mother Uh uh-huh and a lot of people were really upset about that so okay my friend who i watched it with wade shout out wade Write us an email, punk. He actually called the way the show was going to end about a season and a half to two seasons early. Yeah. There's a specific episode that kind of, like, signals that if you're paying attention. Yeah. Because, you know, we got to the episode and he says, I know how this show's going to end. I'll tell you at the end of this. And he told me, and I was like, that makes perfect sense. I bet you're right. 
So it wasn't like I suspected that might be the way it ended. And I think that it's kind of admirable on the part of the showrunners that they had this idea and that's what they stuck to because that is not the way those kind of shows are typically going to end with like, okay, okay, we're building up to this big event that ends in sadness and loss and what a twist. He should have been with Robin the whole time. Yeah. That part I was a little... Eh, back and forth on, but at the same time, it does make a lot of sense given, like I said, the journey those characters had been on the previous nine seasons. That's fair. I guess so. that's what I meant more of, like with the predictability. I, I weirdly, I think I always read the show as it being a "How I Met Your Mother," like because she's dead thing. But that's because the very limited knowledge that I had about the premise was hmm. that it was the father telling the kids a story about how he met their mother. And it seems like just in the con- – like, I don't know, contextually that just seems like why would he be telling – why would he be telling them a story about it, just the three of them, if she was around? So yeah. I guess that, like, that just seemed to naturally fit when I watched the finale. But the mm-hmm. Robin thing I guess was more of what I figured – like th- when I think about like the Hollywood ending of it yeah. all, that's yeah. where I thought people would have an issue with the show as of like, oh, well, they're just going to – you know, female character who is currently available, and mm-hmm. that's how it is. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, really, it was twofold. But yeah, personally, I didn't hate it. Mm-hmm. And the more I like, every now and then, I'll kind of think back to it, or somebody will bring that show up. And yeah, I, I think that as you get farther away from it, and kind of take the entire thing as a whole. I don't think it was a bad ending at all. Okay. And that's another component of it. Because when you see a series finale, there is just built into that a massive amount of anticipation. Mm -hmm. Because if it's something you are actively watching as it comes out, then this is something you've been watching for years. Sure. Now, streaming has kind of changed that. And yeah. I feel like that's that's a topic in and of itself, but to have things come out week by week by week, which Disney Plus has done, and I think sure. even Hulu and Amazon do the same thing, where they release an episode a week, at least with certain shows. And yeah. I, I, I don't know if Amazon is completely consistent with that. I know Hulu, for the most part, has been. I know, like, mm-hmm. what's their big one? Uh, the Handmaid's Tale... There was mm-hmm. that show with I think it had it was with the guy from Breaking Bad the shit science bitch. Oh yeah 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 I know what you're talking about I can't think of the name of it for some reason. Yeah, but that there was like a, a kind of a show about like a, a cult leader and, a, yes. and somebody. Yeah, uh, Aaron Paul was the guy I was trying to think of. Yeah, that one was released weekly. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I, I think that they mostly do it. I, I found especially with the Disney. This is something we talked about in I think the last TV episode, but I think. There is a lot more success when you look at what Disney specifically has done with shows like The Mandalorian and all the MCU shows, mm-hmm. or most of them anyway, is just the hype building that comes around it, but also just the engagement. It just it feels like so much more of a personal, individualistic experience when you're just binge-watching something, whereas when you're, when you're given the opportunity to watch something in installments weekly, it really kind of forces you to engage with other people because, you know, mm-hmm. you've got a bunch of extra time to speculate and stuff like that so 
Well, that's I I find it so funny that they've started using that model because it's the way television just was by its very nature. But they've right. discovered like, oh wait, rather than dump all eight episodes of The Mandalorian all at one time, we can extend this conversation about exactly. this show and build awareness up about this show for eight weeks, yeah, at least. No. So. How how well are you tied in with the MCU shows? Have you are you caught up on everything or? Well, as of uh, now, as of recording, I think there are, I think there's only been one episode of What If. Yes, so far, I haven't seen that, but I've watched the entirety of WandaVision, Falcon, Winter Soldier, and Loki. So Falcon and Winter Soldier and Loki, spoiler alert, both don't really feel like a finale, obviously. And I think that it's pretty clear that we're going to get um, second – well, I, I think Loki at least, it's pretty certain we'll get a second season of. Falcon and Winter Soldier just based on reception, I'm not sure. But WandaVision I think is worth talking about as a finale mm-hmm. because I think it, it tries to be two things at the same time in a finale. One, two, in my opinion – enormous success and the other just kind of meh so it's trying to be the end of infinity war and the end of winter soldier all at the same time and that it's trying to be this big action set piece centered finale while also trying to drive home a much more personal story with a lot of heart and emotion behind it and they try Mm -hmm. to fit that into the span of one what is it like a 45 minute show probably I can't remember if they're hour long. Yeah. They vary. Yeah. yeah. How did you feel about the finale of WandaVision? I thought it was terrific. And. Like full stop or are there, like were there issues for you? Okay. Pretty much full stop because the MCU shows are a little bit different in that they are connected to the MCU. Right. And what my hope for those shows my hope for those shows was that Loki would be about Loki. Right. And that Falcon and Winter Soldier would be about the Falcon and Winter Soldier and Wanda, etc. Right. But what I think Falcon and Winter Soldier specifically fell victim to was being a setup for more movies. Mm-hmm. Rather than being a self-contained story in itself about right. these characters. Now... There was a story arc through the season that, you know, began and ended, but it was very clear the whole point of the show was to set up future projects. Mm-hmm. WandaVision, on the other hand, you could argue that it was merely just an extension of things that had come before it, but by the nature of the thing, of course it is. Right. You know what I mean? But it told a story from beginning to end, and then you have your you know, post-credit little kicker to kind of set up further adventures. But yeah. that that story of, like, grief, loss, denial, all that kind of stuff... The fucking was... line from Vision of the... What, what, it, it's, what is grief, if not love persevering, I think? Yes. Oh. Mm-hmm. WandaVision might... I'm trying to think if there's another one. WandaVision might be the only MCU property, like, Disney MCU property, that has made me cry. Mm. I can't think of another one. Guardians 2. Ooh, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Infinity War, for that matter, but... Yeah, well, Infinity War, I was just gasping. It's a different mm-hmm. episode, but but yeah. Uh, yeah, Guardians 2. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, I just, I just find it interesting that WandaVision 
I felt that the emotional ending of the episode between Wanda and Vision mm-hmm. was about as close to perfect as you could get. Yeah. Um, whereas I felt wholly underwhelmed with the execution on the the big action set piece. I think largely because it does reek of what you were talking about with the Falcon Winter Soldier and Loki season mm-hmm. finales is because mm-hmm. it really did feel like whether you've got spoilers white vision uh fighting not white vision you've got not quasar whatever her whatever pulsar whatever the rambo her whatever her character is like you've Pol- got her huh polaris polaris no. yes no no anyway anyway <laughs> her you've got her kind of like fully showing off her power set you've got it's just there was so much building that happens in that episode or in that in that specific part of the finale that it mm-hmm. it, it it took away from the finality of it if you will so yeah yeah i i see where you're coming from there but i think that it was a marvel project yeah I know. so you know that it's going to end with we got to get the thing and punch the guy <laughs> you know and, it, and to be the, on- yeah yeah, get the thing, punch the guy. That's that's pretty much how you have to solve problems in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. I was expecting that, and I was hoping that it wasn't just that. Yeah. And fortunately, it wasn't. The entire ship mm-hmm. of Theseus bit and just yeah. kind of the the interplay between the characters, to me, was way more interesting than the actual, like, fight sequences. Yeah. So, but... No, I think that, that WandaVision has been the most successful thus far in being its own self-contained story. Yeah. Also lending itself to future projects, but not feeling like it was only there to set up future projects. Sure, so, that, that's fair. So you actually mentioned a show that I think has one of the very, very best finales. And it's a show I don't think you've ever even watched. What show is that? Breaking Bad. Nope. I, I have watched it, but got nowhere near the finale, other than what I saw like in uh, YouTube breakdowns. I I made it up until the scene where Walter. Th- it's the first season, I think. It's where Walter throws the crystal on, like the highly explosive crystal, on the mm-hmm. ground in Tuco's place. Yeah, that's as far as I made it. Fulminated mercury. Yes. Crazy fistful of nothing. Sure. Episode six, I believe. Fucking yeah. nerd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that was purely a product of my friend group in general, I think. It's not their fault, but, like, it was so highly hyped by them mm-hmm. and my dad. Like, my dad would not shut up about the show. And it was to the point where, mm-hmm. like, he, he came to visit me with I was living way out of state. And he came to visit me, and he was like, hey, we got some time to hang out. We can watch Breaking Bad. And he kind of, like, <laughs> forced me to watch an episode, and I saw how happy it made him, and so I watched another one, and... As soon as he left, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. It's I, I recognize that what I saw was great television. It's just, it's it's the way that I, I have to imagine people that never could get into Go- Game of Thrones felt about it. Like, there's a mm-hmm. recognition that you're watching quality, but it's just not, not for you. Okay, wow. My body, wow. my choice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> At any rate. Yeah. Um. That show did did all of the things I think a good finale does. Okay. It brings a sense of closure to the story, mm-hmm. for the most part, because there's definitely some open-ended things there. It brings the characters to a different place. 
and is really about it's less of an ending and more of a new beginning it's not a happily ever after in Uh. fact there's very little happy in the finale of that show but Uh. if there was it would have been a massive betrayal of the themes and just kind of the 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 message of the show from the get-go sure and i mean i think it's still you know talked about as one of the better finales Mm -hmm. out there another big big show that everybody hyped that did not stick the landing would be as you mentioned Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, yeah. We will probably, definitely, most likely, absolutely be making an episode, or possibly even two, to fully address the story and making and kind of fallout of Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. But, as it relates to this episode, this, I think, it's a story of really a season. I mean, because I think that's that's, there's a couple different ways to look at this topic. One of them is the final episode itself, but I think there's also... Um, something to be said for a lot of shows about how the final season plays out, for better uh-huh. or worse. And really, with Game of Thrones, it's probably a story of of one season, technically, but it's really two half seasons that are the ultimate kind of interesting finale. It was it was a show that was very heavily forecasted for a finale, well in advance because they announced it. I think like cause it, it was eight eight seasons, right? Yes, that and sounds they, right. And they pretty much announced what what the final layout was going to be towards the ending of season six because they were mm-hmm. announcing that there were going to be two shorter seasons with progressively longer episodes mm-hmm. leading up to the finale, which I think was where most critically minded people's ears started to kind of burn a little bit. Yeah. Chris, to you, what what was it about if you could if you could sum up in like one or two sentences, why why Game of Thrones did not stick the landing? How would you put that? So, my issue with Game of Thrones was not necessarily what happened. Mm -hmm. As in, where the story ended up, where the characters ended up, that wasn't the issue. Mm -hmm. The issue was that all of these events, all of these character arcs that had been building for six entire seasons were given maybe 15 minutes each to resolve... Or to completely 180 and go in the complete opposite direction with very little, like, time given to understand why it was just so rushed that it's not even funny. Season six is where, like, the crack started the show because, Mm -hmm. you know, the first season, most of the season is a journey from the north to, of Winterfell to King's Landing. Yeah. Most of the season is that one journey. Now, that journey is made several times throughout the show, and it's not given an entire season right. each time. But season six is where people just started fast traveling. Right. And that, to me, was not necessarily a problem. Because we've been given so much time, like, getting familiar with the continent of Westeros, right? more or less where everything was. And so if we're just going to skip the riding the waves and talking to each other, okay, fine. But everything else started moving at a much faster pace. Yeah. And characterization started to change or break down or whatever. 
And it just, it did not do any justice to the story that had been told the previous five, arguably six seasons before it. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more about the the fact that I did hear a lot of about, you know, Danny's decision to burn King's Landing or even at the, one of the most one of the ones that I remember hearing the most was the decision of where Jamie died or how Jamie and Cersei died. I think if you actually devoted even because, I mean, you said like some of them get, you know, no more than 15 minutes. Honestly, I would have loved 15 minutes of the last episode devoted to how Cersei and Jamie get to and resolve or how, you know, how Jamie ultimately kind of reconciles himself as a character, himself as a hero versus himself as a villain and where, you know, where he's been on each end of that spectrum and decides yeah. to kind of give in to his, you know, basic instincts and, you know, accept the fact that for better or worse, he will always love Cersei. Mm-hmm. I think that that is a, a beautiful is kind of a gross way of describing it, but I think that there is something beautiful in that character arc given where we've seen him from mm-hmm. season one to now season eight. Um, yeah. The problem, like you mentioned, was that they didn't even get 15 minutes. Like 15 minutes would have been a godsend for that, for the mm-hmm. Clegane brothers, for the, like, I don't know, even like the turn with, with Grey Worm. Like the fact that we we see Grey Worm go from loyal soldier to warlord in the span of like two scenes, like all of that just like you don't fifteen minutes would have been a fantastic improvement, but you really are getting like two minutes of screen time for each of these mm-hmm. each of these things that have been building up over the last you know seven ten episode seasons almost so it yeah it's it's just you know there's a lot at play there obviously you know for most people that were really pay attention to the series i think was it episode was it season six that largely is where they ran out of material ran out of martin material i know that they were kind of trick it was trickling away as the seasons went depending on what storyline you were looking at but i think season Mm -hmm. six kind of marked the demarcation line of like this is where there is virtually no book left to adapt which is the other big issue is now you're going from the show being run by two guys to the show being written and run by two guys and i think it is interesting Mm -hmm. like one of the it was a meme that i saw that was it was it had a like a little banner with the harry potter series on it it said you know no movies in over 10 years people still raving about it and can't wait for another one and then lord of the rings it's like no movies in 15 years people still talking about it still wanting to see more of it and then game of thrones no episodes in two years, nobody's talking about it, and nobody wants to see anything more about it. And I don't know if that last part's true, because I know that there does seem to be a decent amount of buzz around the prequel series that is going to be upcoming. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, it's 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 I can't think of another show like that that dumped that much steam that quickly. Yeah. Well, and just like one of the main premises of the episode we're going to dedicate to this show is how did something so big, so successful seemingly overnight eliminate all goodwill and its entire place in pop culture. Yeah. So it's, (laughs) it's insane to take a step backwards. When you were talking about the breaking bad finale, something kind of popped into my head. Did you, you, were you a doctor who fan? Yes. No, I haven't, you know, I haven't, I'm not current, as it were, but sure. I've yeah. seen 
the ninth through most of the eleventh doctors' okay. runs. So the I believe the tenth doctor was doctor was David Tennant, right? Yes. Okay. The finale. Do you remember how well do you remember the David Tennant finale? Pretty well. While I have not seen the entire episode, is it? Oh. No, no, no. Sorry, the entire finale of Breaking Bad. Mm. I get almost kind of a similar vibe in that they are both kind like so in the finale because you know Doctor Who is this really interesting thing case where like you kind of get a series finale every couple of seasons. It's one of the reasons mm-hmm. that I really like Doctor Who for so long is because you do get this kind of for lack of a better phrase rebirth of the show which I've heard is not quite the case in some of the newer seasons but for you know for a few doctors you really got this pretty incredible refresh every time mm-hmm. you would change doctors where it really did feel like a much different show every time but this the the final scenes where David Tennant is going around to all of his former companions and significant monsters of the week and kind of just standing there and staring and kind of letting them know that he's leaving is is there a similar element to Breaking Bad in that? Yes. Okay. It's, I, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I always kind of got that vibe from some of the just some of the scenes that I that I had caught from the Breaking Bad finale. And there's like a couple of scenes where it's just Walter standing in front of like a a building or something like that, and I just get this like David Tennant standing out looking at what was the the nurse Martha Martha Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just kind of a similar vibe to that. Yeah. No, that's that's uh, pretty accurate. It's the thing that is so good to me about the Breaking Bad finale is that at this point in the story, Walter White is so far beyond redemption and making sure. things right. Yet he still sets out to make things right. Well, to make things everything that he's done, not for nothing, mm-hmm. you know, and. There's there's a lot more to like who he's become, mm-hmm. but it's making amends as best you possibly could in such a hopeless situation of his own making. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah. Did you? There was another show that I was. I don't know. We've ever talked about it on or off air. Vikings. I think it originally started on History, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Did you mm-hmm. ever? Wa- you watch it? No, no. I heard about it though. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting story, just the production side, and then also just the show itself. So it it, it does kind of it kind of plays out kind of like a Breaking Bad meets Game of Thrones, which is giving it a lot more praise quality wise than I probably should be. But the core concept is you've basically got uh, you're following this one character, and it's a true like you know farmer to Viking Viking king story, but you follow this character, Ragnar Lothbrok, who starts off as just a Viking raider, and then over the span of the first season, you start to see him get a taste for what power can actually look like, and it starts off with these kind of noble intentions, and then kind of power starts to corrupt him, and you see him go through a, n- a number of different phases. It's a, it's a, it's a good example, I think, of, of another version of a finale, which is not it's not a or a series finale, but a, more of a character finale or kind of a false start finale where the show can almost feel like it's ending because the main character is being eliminated, is being taken off the board in one way or another. So whether it's like mm-hmm. Vikings where the character, spoiler alert, dies, or it's something more like uh, that 70s show where the main character just moves away or sim with like scrubs. But with Vikings, what's interesting is it does follow a similar kind of path where, you know, 
as a Viking king understandably would, he has gone through so much and kind of gotten past the point with the people that he has hurt in the process of, of redeeming himself that he... It, it just feels very similar to Breaking Bad in terms of the way that the story plays out. But what I think is also interesting is kind of what what I believe caused that on the back end because that show kind of goes through like two iterations because after that the show follows the children of of Ragnar who you have literally watched grow up through the seasons of the show. It really abandons most of the things that were recognizable from the first series. It either kills them off or makes them irrelevant moving forward. But, and I don't know exactly where this syncs up, but they also had an, a situation with Vikings where it started off on history and mm-hmm. then it was canceled, but was brought back by a streamer. And I believe it was Amazon who brought it back. And I think it was, I, if I remember correctly, I could be totally wrong about this, but Amazon, I believe started by co-funding it. And then when the traditional cable channel decided to just pull it all together amazon actually produced the last season all by themselves so it's interesting if you go onto hulu you can only get vikings or at least when we record this you can only get vikings up to the next to last season and you can only get the last season specifically on amazon prime that might change at some point down the road but it's just it's an interesting kind of example of that but there are a Mm -hmm. lot i think there are a number of examples where people kind of would be understandably assuming that the show was over and then the show for one reason or another went on to have uh, quite a life after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just interesting. Yeah. No, the, the office was a little bit like that. Yeah, very much so. And that the office had a couple of those where, I mean, the big one that everybody talks about was Michael Scott, right? Which still the stories, there's a, there's a podcast that the the guy that plays is it Brian? No, who plays Kevin? Kevin Brian Baumgartner, right? Yeah, yeah. Where he basically chronicles the entire production cycle of The Office, mm-hmm. and um, then well, the, oh god, Jen, Jenna Fisher and yes, Angela Kinsey also have a podcast mm-hmm. about the show. Yeah, but they talk about how the scene where all of the cat or all of the employees from the office start to sing i forget is it a take on a rent song yes yeah mm-hmm. and, and michael starts to cry and apparently that was not scripted at all, like most things in the office but like he had no idea like he was being called in i think they thought he thought they were going to be doing like a read through or something and then mm-hmm. they all just surprised him with that so everything was very uh, genuine i don't know where, where would you say from I because I mean there's two big finales that most people talk about, which is Michael's last episode and then the finale finale. Where where do you feel like on a on a success level? How do you, how successful do you feel like they were with with wrapping those two things up? So Michael's departure was, you know, that was done pretty beautifully. I mm-hmm. think that scene in particular, one of the reasons, and then in another sort of instance like that where they. You know, something just kind of was impromptu when Michael is leaving, leaving, and Mm -hmm. Pam comes up to him and is talking to him without microphones. That was a genuine conversation as well that they caught. The thing, so I was not caught up with The Office when Michael left. It actually wasn't until just a couple years ago that I finally watched the series start to finish in its entirety but my 
inclination was to believe that the show would probably be successful for another season, maybe two, after mm-hmm. his departure. Yeah. Just because, you know, it, it's one of those shows where if you get a large enough group of people in a room together and ask them who's your favorite character, you probably will have almost everybody on the show represented. Sure. At least by one or two people. And I think it was the strength of the ensemble that let that show last the two seasons beyond Mm -hmm. Michael's departure. Mm -hmm. It would be wrong to say he wasn't a big part of what made that show what it was. But I don't know. I thought that they were fairly successful in continuing it. And I I think that they maybe narrowly avoided overstaying their welcome. Yeah, I think they pulled it at at the right time because I mean you started to see, and I think I, if I'm not mistaken, the characters kind of knew that they were on borrowed time. But you started to see characters like or like actors like is it Clark Duke, the the mini Dwight, uh huh, yeah, Clark Duke, and I forgot the character that played Plop. But you started to see them bringing in some other people, and it definitely felt like they were kind of going for, uh, you know, a next generation type of feel. And it, mm. I think I don't know how much they were ever willing to commit to that specifically, but um, yeah, I mean, I think it it was it was important for the show to be able to show, to be able to kind of demonstrate that we are not just the Michael Scott show, um, right? Because I think with when you look at the the relative unknown nature of about ninety percent of the cast, I think it is a testament to to them to say, hey, look, like these guys don't need Michael Scott. Michael Scott makes mm-hmm. it a lot easier but they are fully capable of, of helming a show without him. One of my favorite episodes of the show is actually a post-Steve Carell episode. What's that? It's the episode where James Spader's Robert California is in charge, and uh-huh. it opens with him telling Andy, my wife is going to walk through that door in five minutes and oh, ask yeah. for a job. Under no <laughs> circumstances is that to happen. And then the rest of the episode, he spends haranguing Andy for not giving his wife a job and Andy has no clue what the hell he's supposed to do because of the explicit instructions he'd been given. And it, it's, it harkens back to the dinner party episode yeah. of season four and that it's deeply uncomfortable yeah. and very, very funny for it. And I think that the, the finale itself was very successful. Mm-hmm. The only thing that seemed a little odd about it was... Steve Carell's very small part in it. Yeah. Like it seemed smaller than it needed to be kind of thing because it's very much about looking back on, you know, the journey that these characters have been on over the last nine seasons. So, and it does that in a way that also sets up new beginnings for everyone it doesn't feel, I don't know, gimmicky. Not too gimmicky, anyway. I don't know. I, I, I'm actually while I while I always would love to see more Michael Scott. I actually think for the mm-hmm. finale and where the show was at that point, I, I kind of disagree. I, I think to bring Michael Scott back in a major way for a long portion, and I understand you're not asking for like a whole episode of Michael Scott, but like right. to bring him back more than what he was brought back for would seem to be taking steps backwards in progression because when I say it's important to show that this relative unknown cast is able to, to 
you know, stand on their own two feet with, you know, helming a show and, and making a show watchable without star power like Steve Carell behind them. I mean mm-hmm. that for the actors, but I do also think the characters as a whole, I mean, you see characters really starting to get a lot more attention. Like Craig Robinson's character becomes far mm-hmm. more relevant after Michael departs. You have, oh God, Oscar, I feel like gets a little bit of life breathed into him that, that was mm-hmm. not quite there just because he was always kind of the gay foil to Michael for so long. I, I don't know. I think to bring Michael Scott back in a major way for the season would have been a step backwards in a show that rightfully kind of left him behind. It had evolved beyond Michael Scott. I would say, to me, the only thing... Was the... No, I guess it wasn't. The The episode where where the Nard Dog goes on to the singing competition... <laughs> Was that that wasn't the finale, right? Because I think that was the episode leading up to the finale, maybe. Because the finale, you see him coming back after he's already gone viral. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that sounds right, but I, I don't know. I'm not going to say definitively. I, I, it wasn't yeah. that I thought that Michael Scott should have been like more central to the episode. Even I just yeah. thought that. He's only in it for like two like beats almost. I thought there'd be. Just a bit more, but yeah. no, I a hundred percent agree that like no, he should not have shown up and made it the Michael Scott show again because yeah, yeah it it very much was about everyone else. But I do I do think that those two beats that we get for him pretty much pretty much wrap up the only thing we had left to wrap up because we do get a lot of stuff wrapped. He's finally got the love of his life in mm-hmm. the in his finale, and really the only thing that we don't really get is any sense of him. And children, which is something that's always kind of in the background of his character development, being both a man-child himself, but also wanting kids mm-hmm. and wanting to be surrounded by kids. So I think that that being one of the things that the show does kind of focus on with Michael Scott in the finale, I don't know. I think I think it's done about as well as you can expect it to be. There's plenty of mm-hmm. fan service. I think you get their version of the Mary Tyler Moore ending is pretty spectacular, and it's another... It, one of my favorite stories from from the Brian Baumgartner po- podcast was talking about how the filming of that was the closest thing to torture they had done throughout the entire show because it was the last thing – if I'm not mistaken, it was the last thing they filmed. And as is the case with television, you have to do multiple takes. So they were having this you know nice, nice moment where Creed is singing to all of them and then they're all leaving and crying. But then they all have to stage right outside of the set doors and then go back and pretend like they hadn't done that and then do it again. So it's just it, huh. it, that that whole scene. I thought that the Creed – I don't think that I've seen more of a out-of-left-field turn that felt so right as mm-hmm. bringing Creed back and him going from covered in blood for Halloween and just being lucky – to a wise old folk singer, basically. Mm-hmm. I thought that was just a perfect way. And I think that was actually, that was because I know Creed Bratton was a musician in real life before he got on the show, but I think that was actually one of his songs. Like, I don't think really? that was like written for, yeah, I think, I, if I remember looking it up on Spotify, and I'm pretty sure that was an old song of his that he wow. retooled for the show. Yeah, and it just happened to be just chef's kiss perfect. There was another one that you had brought up. Well, so, I mean, we probably should bring it up at some point. Seinfeld. I know that that yeah. is a very contentious finale. It's actually a good counterpoint to The Office. Yeah. Because The Office was, in a lot of ways, kind of looking back. Mm-hmm. But it was looking back in a way that moved forward. Now, right. 
Seinfeld by its nature is not, you know, it's a show about nothing. And I suppose the conceit of the show ending with all of them in jail is appropriate because it's just kind of, you know, driving home the fact that they're all like irredeemable assholes. In I was going to say the show. Another. Yeah, the show spent the vast majority of its time trying to sh- trying to see how far they could take the actions of these characters and get you to still root for them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, that in and of itself is fine. However, it was a clip show. Yeah. That is all it was. Yeah. And it was I watched that finale live. And, you know, it I wasn't the age that that show was aimed for and I wasn't, you know, I I had seen couple dozen episodes before that so i i knew the show well enough to kind of have some kind of expectation about the ending and even then i was like what the hell was that yeah like that was bad yeah and i remember my parents were like that sucked (laughs) like (laughs) i i kind of hated that and you know they they tried to do the same thing of kind of like you know looking back on all of the antics that had transpired, but it just was boring. Yeah, well, The Office does that narratively, whereas right. Seinfeld does it literally. Yeah. Now, if okay, so if I remember correctly, and I, most of my exposure to Seinfeld was in syndication, so I did not watch it live, the mm-hmm. the finale. But mm-hmm. I seem to remember seeing reruns of clip shows. Like Seinfeld had done clip shows before that, right? Like they had done I, clip episodes. I feel like they had. Maybe that or someone or someone who saw the reception of the finale was like, we should do this more and made more clips episodes because that was definitely not the only clip like clip show that I'd ever seen hmm. from Seinfeld. Yeah, I I don't know, to be honest. I mean, even if that was like a hallmark of the show or something the show did, like it is still not well received at no. all. No, not at all. <laughs> I would be curious, like, to see some sort of somebody quantify, like, who, which was the more disappointing in its time, Game of Thrones or Seinfeld? Because really, I mean, that's like Game of Thrones was the Seinfeld of like you know action, high budget film or shows. I mean, I, in terms of just like it's just widely accepted domination over everything else at the time mm-hmm. for its genre. So it's it is interesting that they both suffered a very similar fate of just like complete i mean people didn't turn on seinfeld the way they did game of thrones but just the just there there was it wasn't a controversy it was a pretty widely accepted blunder i I don't know Mm -hmm. that anybody were was arguing like oh man i'm really glad they did it that way Mm -hmm. for either of those shows yeah well i think that there is like as a writer i would not want to be solely responsible for crafting the finale or last season of a show I think that there is kind of this this temptation, maybe not temptation, but this expectation that people build, particularly as a creator, that uh-huh. your finale needs to be the best episode you've ever done. Right. Or something to that effect. And there's so many different ways to do a finale, even successfully, like The Office. It looks back on where they've been and kind of, you know gives you a glimpse of where things may go. It could be like Breaking Bad, where it kind of brings the entire story to a conclusion. And 
is basically for the story it's telling, the beginning and the end. And, I mean, it can do a lot of different things and still be considered successful, but there's this this kind of difficulty, I imagine, in figuring out which one do we do. Right. What is appropriate for this show? And also, too, I, I do wonder how much the audience's expectations... Like, I can't imagine how that weighs on a creator when they're they're trying to do something like that. So, I mean, I think it needs... It's worth mentioning that it's an incredibly difficult thing to do is end something, especially, like, a show that's been going for seasons and seasons. But I think that it is always going to turn out better when you set out as a creator to end the show. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's I, I don't envy anybody trying to end any sort of narrative just because it's, I mean, it's an incredibly difficult thing to do as mm-hmm. evidenced by some of the things we've talked about already. But yeah, I, I mean, I think it, I don't know, man. It's It's tough. One of the other things that, that occasionally will happen with a finale is kind of like a out-of-nowhere twist. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, I think there was one you mentioned that's pretty infamous for that. Would that be St. Elsewhere? That would be St. Elsewhere. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. the medical drama that decided to become an existential crisis in the last episode. Essentially, it was I think it was one of Denzel Washington's launching points, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not I don't want to say stock standard medical drama, but it was a medical drama. And in the final episode, I'm oversimplifying it, but essentially you find out that the entire goings-on of the show was happening in the mind of... I believe a disabled boy looking at a snow globe. Yep. And I wish that like it I'm oversimplifying it, but I'm not oversimplifying it that much. Like the final the final scene is literally like it's it's a zoom out of the building that you've been watching all of these all of this drama unfold over seasons and the pan out turns into a, the building in a snow globe and then a child's mm-hmm. looking down at it. It's um just bizarre. What what other examples can you think of like that? Not like that, but Twists. Twists. So the... It's not really a twist ending because we've already talked about it, but I feel like one of the reasons people didn't like the finale of How I Met Your Mother is because it felt like a gotcha twist ending. Okay, that's and fair. And I... Yeah, and I, I, I don't know that twists are really... If you've got a show where the very nature of it is like constant deception and misdirection and, you know, something like that, a twist ending could be a great way to end things. But I think generally speaking, in most shows, especially something like a medical drama, having a twist ending feels like a betrayal of that journey that you have been investing in for X number of seasons or years or or what whatever on a television show. Sure. So... I don't know. That's that's one that I know personally is something I would definitely try to avoid. So That's fair. So I think one of the things that I, as I've been kind of considering it with what you kind of talked about originally as far as what makes a good finale. Have you seen West Wing? I haven't. No. So, but from what I understand, it's a lot of walking down hallways and talking. And it's all good. It's it's yes, it is definitely more than that, but yeah, it's a lot of Aaron Sorkin hallways <laughs> conversations. But I would posit 
and it's easy to do this because you can't combat this argument because you haven't seen it, bitch. But <laughs> West Wing might have the greatest finale in a season. Like, if you're going to think of, like, the way that they wrapped the series, it, it's really difficult to wrap a series like this, which basically, for those of you who haven't seen The West Wing, follows from pretty early on in the first term of a president, Jed Bartlett, played by Martin Sheen, and an outstanding ensemble cast in his staff and cabinet, and follows through two terms, spoiler alert, I guess, his presidency. It's, it's interesting because the show obviously has a natural timeline in that mm-hmm. it's... You've got at most eight years chronologically to deal with it, uh, to, to tell the story that you want to tell. What they decide to do is in the, and I'm going to verify this to make sure, but in the final season is the final year of Jed Bartlett's presidency, but they largely center the story around the reelection cycle. And they bring in, oh God, all I can think of is Jimmy Smits from NYPD Blue. Hold on, I'm pulling up the IMDb. But they get the two candidates that they get to run are um, 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 J- oh it is oh sorry okay I thought Jimmy Smith was the character's name the actor Jimmy Smith's as the Democratic candidate and opposite him Alan Alda as the more establishment Republican candidate they do a lot of really okay. interesting things the part of the reason that I would argue this is the best wrapping of a story that I've seen is because they're able to natural I mean there there is a natural feeling of closure and finality to it because every even if people are carrying over from one administration to the next mm-hmm. in one way or another it's not going to be the same thing so there is a natural right. finality to that story but what i think is also really cool about it is the fact that in this election as is the case in most american politics stories you get to bring a lot of it gives you the opportunity to hash out a lot of things between interpersonal relationships between staff members from opposing groups they're able to, because, you know, politics, nobody really ever goes away permanently. They're able to bring back in the new election people that you haven't seen since the beginning of the first se- seasons of the show. It's just a really cool way. It, it's a lot of fan service without ever really feeling like fan service. They're able to bring back most of the relevant characters that I can think of that are still alive while really honoring the people who have been there throughout the entire series. And in one of the coolest moves that I have seen, they decide that on the... the they do a an episode, which is a big presidential debate between Jimmy Smith and Alan Alda, and they actually did it live. So it was all scripted, but the episode, it was the only one of the series, was actually, from start to finish, a live production that was shown live. Wow. Which I thought was pretty cool. So, yeah. That is I, neat. And that's not the kind of show I would expect to see, like, a live episode of. No, and it's interesting. Typically, I just think of the Drew Carey show. <laughs> Yeah, but it was cool because, I mean, there were natural, like, little misses and flubs here and there with lines, and it just, it added to the realism of the show. It was just, it was a really, really solid way to end it. It also sadly dealt with, in real life, the passing, and it was kind of poetic of the way that it um, happened, but the actor John Spencer, who played Leo McGeary on the show, passed away, I believe, during the production of the last season. And so in the finale season, he played mm-hmm. he played Jed Bartlett's chief of staff. So he was the father figure of okay. most of the characters that you're following. And he passes away. Mm-hmm. And so they give him this really beautiful send-off where they – I don't remember what he dies of in the show, but they kill him off in the show. And so they're able to give him this really beautiful funeral in the series. And it just felt like a really just nice way 
to send him off. It was just, it was beautiful. And you see, like, I know that they, I think it was HBO, did a kind of a reunion show a year or so ago. And, um, like, you still, you see Bradley Whitford and Allison Janney and Richard Schiff, and you see all of them talking about their experience working with John Spencer, and, like, it still gets them teary-eyed. But I, the West Wing, I would highly recommend. If anybody has not gotten a chance to see it, you can watch it all on HBO. You could watch it on one point at Netflix, but I think they moved it over to HBO Go, or HBO Max. But it's got a killer cast. I think it's it's got a lot of seasons. And a lot of people that you don't really expect... I'm gonna guess eight? No, I don't think that they... I don't think they're doing one for one. Actually, yeah, suck it. Only seven, you hmm. nerd. Okay. But a lot, yeah. Yeah, and Aaron Sorkin dialogue is always going to be chef's kiss so Mm -hmm. check it out yeah cool yeah so what else you got any other noteworthy um let me look through my touch on before we move on people didn't like dexter the only other one i know that i oh yeah i okay so dexter is one of those that i haven't really watched but i'm pretty sure i know how it ends or at least how the character Dexter leaves the show. It's not great. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. He he drives a boat into a, a hurricane? I believe that's the case, yeah. Okay. I, I, I dropped out of the show before the finale, but I remember the finale being widely panned. And I believe, yeah, he drives it into a hurricane and then I think he ends up as a lumberjack somehow. If I'm not mistaken. Okay. I don't know. Most of what I remember about Dexter is that really funny clip of like they they were sh- trying to show like teenage Dexter, and so they take the same actor. Is it Anthony Michael Hall? No. I think so. Yeah, they take no. they just put him in like a page boy wig and tried to sell him as a teenager, and he's like definitely in his mid to late thirties, and it's just really. <laughs> if you haven't, hold on. If you haven't looked it up, just look up. I'm, I'm Googling young Dexter to make sure that this works. It's just, oh, yeah, here it is. Yeah, just look up young Dexter, and you'll get plenty of great. <laughs> I'm definitely going to make this one of the pictures on the Facebook post. Yeah, it's just great. That's it. Mm. I mean, that's that's most of what I can think of. I mean, there's there's a ton of examples of, like, both good and bad, both, you know, good and bad finales. I Wrap think it just ups. comes in. Yeah. Huh? Wrap-ups, yeah. I think it just comes down to, you know, does it feel earned? I think it's probably the easiest way that I can kind of describe mm-hmm. it. That's, that's I guess, the the answer you were looking for an hour and a half ago. was just, like, it d- does the resolution that's presented with this final episode feel earned based on the efforts from everything that came before it and from what you've added in this final episode? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean... Even that, even if you you go into it creating your finale to be that, mm-hmm. I think that it's always going to be difficult to quote unquote get it right. Yeah, you just hope that more people like it than not, because everybody's going to have, especially nowadays with the the era of the fan theory being at a greater fever pitch than it's ever been. You know, you'll have some people that. You know, their theory was right, so, like, I called it, that sucks. Or their theory's wrong, and it's like, well, it should have been this. You know, so that's that's a modern issue to contend with. And I think that 
there's always going to be some level of backlash when you first finish a show. Sure. But I think that really what a creator could most hope for is that it's looked back on as a worthy effort, if not font outright fondly, you know? Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so yeah, that's what we learned today. Harrison. Fuck. You can beat me to it. I guess that means mm-hmm. you're just going to have to wrap this on up. Aren't you? Yeah, I guess so. Oh God. How do we Gmail? Facebook. I don't think I'm getting this right. Shit. But, yep. yep. Facebook. That too. Email. Bye. Shit. No, that's not right. Email us on Facebook. Bye. Bye. Bye.